in this episode. So on the face of it, at least, it seems like there might be a, a uh, conflict between selfishness, at least as I think about it, and then the sort of uh, advice that you get a lot from Indian philosophy. So I'm curious to hear what thoughts you have about this. That is what my channel is all about, where I talk about selfishness in the long run, where I talk about selfishness, uh, where you need to recognize that you need to look uh, at the net result of your action. Uh, in, in a way, actually, maybe there's, you might say, if you're a Christian, well, at least I believe there is a self. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, that is so small and miserable um, and guilty, whereas the Indians, they don't even believe in a self. They, they think the self is an illusion. Welcome to another episode of the Selfishness Project, where we explore the idea of selfishness. That's how I normally introduce my shows, but today I happen to be here for the first time ever collaborating with another YouTuber from India. So do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is Amir and I'm generally known as RJ Amir. So RJ is a prefix for radio jockey, what you call disc jockey in the US. We call them radio jockeys here in India. So. I'm popularly known as RJ Amir. Okay, so what should I call you? Should I call you RJ Amir? Yeah. No, you call me Amir. Amir? Okay. <laughs> All right, so um, I thought maybe I could just, we could say a little about how we got to know each other. So I started my channel on selfishness um, several months ago, and I just started going on YouTube to see what else was already on YouTube about selfishness and I came across Amir's channel, which was the only one I found that it wasn't just one video about selfishness. It was a whole bunch of videos. He's doing a whole series and he's got a, a, a brand um, built around this topic of selfishness, which I didn't see anywhere else. So I was uh, intrigued by that and I got in touch with him and then um, he said, hey, let's do a collaboration. I thought it was a good idea. So here we are uh, a couple months later, finally doing it. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm pleased to be uh, at this point. And yeah, uh, it feels great. Yeah, yeah. And since you're in India, I was thinking of some questions that kind of tie the topic of selfishness to India, um, because mm -hmm. maybe I'm sure you know a lot more about um, Indian thinking on this and Indian philosophy in general than I do. Um, so here's one thing that um, I'm curious about. It seems to me that uh, selfishness is in a way it's, it's kind of the opposite. It's going against the Indian ideals. Like I've, I've heard that um, I'm definitely no expert on Indian philosophy, but I've heard many times things like um, in Indian philosophies, I mean, there's different ones. There's like Buddhism and there's Jainism. And uh, I don't know if Hinduism is another one, like one of those where uh, the idea is to get away from the self and kind of uh, uh, squelch your selfish personal desires because they are the source of suffering. Um, and, you know, if, if you don't achieve your desires, you experience disappointments. So the way to achieve peace or happiness or contentment, or maybe they would call it nirvana. I don't know. You could, you could tell me about that. The way to do it is to kind of squash or crush your own, your own personal nature, um, and merge with, uh, some universe, universal self, if you want to call that. Um, a self. Um, so on the face of it, at least, it seems like there might be a, a uh, conflict between selfishness, at least as I think about it, and then the sort of uh, advice that you get a lot from Indian philosophy. So I'm curious to hear what thoughts you have about this. Okay, I'll quickly change my place because it started to drizzle right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just a second. Sure. Yeah, you're right. 
So, <clears throat> see, as far as uh, the Indian philosophy goes, yes, we we talk about if you talk about Buddhism or uh, what is now called Hinduism in a way, or uh, even uh, I cannot, I will not go into the specifics. But on a broader level, if you talk about the Indian philosophy, then we do talk about uh, letting go of yourself. But what you, uh, what we say, letting go of yourself is the ego. Uh, which uh, resides within you because once you let go of your ego then you discover that uh, when you say self then you actually mean the whole universe because you're connected to the entire universe and uh, once you let go of your uh, the veil which you wear then you become one with the universe so you discover the entire universe within yourself and you are a component of that universe as well. So it's both. The entire universe uh, lives within you and you live within that universe. So as far as selfishness goes, it, what I, uh, I'll just uh, uh, explain my uh, words. I am using selfishness, the word selfishness, but what I desire to achieve through selfishness, what I want to tell people through this uh, selfishness is, uh, the topic of selfishness is that you need to look inside of yourself. You need to discover who you truly are. You need to be truly selfish to understand who you are. And once you discover who you are, only then you can go ahead and, uh, you know, do anything, anything worthwhile, even for yourself or even for the world at large. So unless and until you have discovered yourself, you're just uh, a reactionary to the events which are happening all around you. You're not truly responding to events in a fashion that you're not taking conscious decisions. You're just being a reactionary. You're just reacting. So, and that is not the way to live life. Another thing, another uh, uh, aspect of selfishness, according to me, is, uh, you know, unless and until you have something, you will not be able to give it out to others. So even if you want to be selfless, you first need to be selfish enough to acquire it. So if you want to uh, give out love, then you should feel that love. If you if you feel resentful, if you feel uh, hateful, if you uh, if you have those kinds of emotions building up inside of you, then you won't be able to show love toward the, to others. So if you have got no self love, then any love that you show to others will be not true love. It will be a fake love. It will be uh, something like an uh, obsession or an attachment, but it will, it will never be love as such. And that is what Indian philosophy also talks about, that you need to look inside of yourself. First, you need to discover those things within you. Only then you can go ahead and you know share it with others. Otherwise, it's impossible to share it with others. Okay. So if you talk about Buddhist philosophy or uh, the philosophy where you meditate and where, they, where you uh, sort of, uh, uh, what I'll say is uh, that you leave the world in a way and you, know, you start uh, digging up within you, then it's all about discovering uh, your own true self through which you discover the universe. And, it's all interrelated. So once you heal yourself, you automatically heal people around you. So it is all very closely linked with each other. Okay, there was a lot there we could we could dig into more. So let me let me uh, throw in another aspect here. Um, one thing that caught my attention when I first saw your your YouTube channel is there was an Ayn Rand quote in in mm -hmm. the video. Um, it was something about, I, I think it was similar to something you said just a minute ago, like in order to love others, you first have to love yourself. Was it, was it something like that? Yep. Okay. So, uh, it was interesting to me that you had that in there because, um, I guess it made me think, well, maybe, uh, this person is influenced by Ayn Rand. Uh, and I think some of what you, you, you just said maybe reflects uh, what she said. I don't know if it's a coincidence or if you think it's, if she was really influencing you there, she was definitely a big influence on me and 
a big motivation for me to uh, get this channel going. So I'm curious to hear a little about that. Like, did, did Ayn Rand's uh, influence your thinking about this topic at all? Or have you read her before? Yeah, I've, I've uh, read two of her books during my teenage. One was uh, The Fountainhead and the other one was The Atlas Shrugged. So uh, at that time when I, my thought, obviously my psyche was developing in a way because uh, I was still uh, too young. So I was reading a lot of uh, philosophy and I was also reading uh, people like Richard Bach and uh, I was reading anything that I could get my hands on basically at that time. So uh, yes, in a way, uh, I do not completely agree with the every aspect of Anne Bryant's philosophy because uh, there are things where I, there are points where I have a different uh, or an opposing view in a way, but uh, most of what she said talked about, you know, achieving perfection or achieving uh, uh, greatness within you and look for that greatness or strive for that greatness. I think I do agree with all that and I do agree with the fact that what she said that you have to first help yourself before helping others because if you uh, don't do that then you're being uh, in a way you you're being uh, against yourself you are you are not being true to yourself so i do agree with those aspects of her philosophy i do completely agree with those aspects of her philosophy okay but, uh, i think most of the people also misunderstand Rand in a way i think I think most of the people uh, think that Ayn Rand, what Ayn Rand means is that at any given point of time, you should only be looking selfishly. I mean, I'm using the word selfishly as it's generally used. Uh, you should be selfishly looking at your well-being at the expense of the well-being of others or at the expense of others. But I don't think that she meant that anyway, because according to me, that's not what she meant. What she meant is that at any given point of time, you have choices and you need to make the choice which is, uh, which takes you further from where you are at right now. It, it isn't at the expense of others in a way. I, I, I didn't really find that. Maybe I'll reread the books and <laughs> find that, but I didn't really find that anywhere in a philosophy when I read those uh, way back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think on her view, there's, there's a harmony of interests between people rather than a conflict of interests, at least when people are acting rationally. Um, when they're not acting <clears throat> rationally, if they're just acting on their short run desires, for instance, then there will be um, conflicts among people and people acting at each other's expense. But if people are going by reason and thinking long range about what is in their own interest, there, there doesn't have to be a conflict. Um, since you're in India, I'm curious if you, you've uh, met other people. I, I, I seem to have come across a number of people on the internet from India mm -hmm. who have some kind of interest in Ayn Rand. Do you know other people there who have an interest in her work? Uh, no, uh, I, I think uh, my, the reason why I, I know people who have read Ayn Rand and who, who love her work, but uh, I haven't really pursued consciously to, you know, to find people, to look for people who, who conform to that philosophy or not. So there are people who do have similar views, but uh, I don't know. I haven't really uh, dig deep into understanding whether it's because of Ayn Rand or uh, did they develop it on their own or maybe some, some other material they came across. Okay. So uh, getting back to the the Indian philosophy. I don't know if this also relates to the disagreements. You said there are some things you had disagreements with Rand about. Are, are those like, um, uh, I mean, what are those disagreements? Are they like parts of the Indian philosophy uh, that disagree yeah. with her view mm -hmm. or, or what? I'm just curious. Yes, uh, like uh, uh, Anne Rand, uh, like, uh, she totally discounts some ideas. I mean, she's all for capitalism in a way, and she's totally against socialism of any kind. I, what I gather from her, what the talks which she gave. And uh, 
I do agree with lots of it, but I do not completely because to me, I call myself a non-conformist. I do not conform to any particular religion or a particular philosophy altogether. I just don't go ahead and say that, okay, only this is the right way to do things and rest all the ways are the wrong ways to to do anything, to reach a particular goal. Because I think at times you, you take more than one route to, uh, you, you you use more than one philosophy, you use more than one model model to reach a particular destination. So, like Anne Rand, she goes ahead and she says that any kind of socialism is absolutely absurd. But uh, practically, you do need a little bit of that because TK, I, I do understand that uh, through your work, through your hard work, or through your uh, inputs, you may have achieved a lot. and. Uh, you're further ahead in your life, in your uh, place you are at, and you're way further than uh, the other people. And you don't really owe anyone anything. But since we live in a society, since it is a society, and there are all sorts of things happening, and it is very subjective. It is not as objective as it should be. So the circumstances are very subjective. The happenings are very sub subjective. The experiences are very subjective. So I cannot just go ahead and say that since I earned my money and I earned everything that I own, so I'm unwilling to share it with anyone else because it just doesn't uh, help me in any way. So okay. That okay, maybe we could explore the, the political things on another call and sure. uh, get into that some more. Um, for now, let me go back to the... Um, to the Indian religion that you were describing at the beginning. Um, mm -hmm. So I think you were saying that there's, there's like, if, how, how does the individual self relate to the, the universal self? I think you were saying something about that. I was, I was presenting this picture where, um, it seemed to me like there might be a conflict uh, between selfishness, as I understand it, in the Indian philosophy, because the Indian philosophy squelches personal desire, tells you to stop having stop having these personal cravings for food or sex or entertainment or whatever it is, because I guess if those those set you up for disappointments if things don't turn out the way you want so it's better just not not to have any desires at all um and to annihilate your own self your personal self and just kind of merge it with the universal cosmic self so is that a, a misunderstanding on your view or, or what see I'll, I'll i'll give my views on this so this is very personal i don't think uh, i'm not really talking on behalf of anyone else anyone else at all so what I feel is that people have misunderstood this concept. Okay, so when we talk about when when I uh, refer to the Indian philosophy and when I say that you need to let go of yourself, then what I am talking about is that you need to let go of your ego, which is masquerading around as you, which hides the real you from the world. I so and I just said that I am a non-conformist. I do not conform. I do not agree with one philosophy altogether in every aspect because I think every individual should should uh, you know should uh, experience should should develop their own philosophy through experience, through learning, and through uh, investigation. We should all come up with our own uh, philosophy as to what we find conforms to our true self. So. As far as uh, letting go of every desire and letting go of everything, I don't think that uh, that is something which is possible, first of all. And I don't really think that Indian philosophy ever meant that. Obviously, it has been made into a sort of a um, high place to reach. It's, 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 it has been created as the gold standard, an ideal state to reach a place where you stop all your physical contact, you stop having sex, you stop getting married, you, you do not have any worldly positions, you, you uh, let go of everything 
which is material in a way and only then you can find yourself i do not really agree with that because uh, and when i have read a few uh, people uh, i i i have found that uh, neither do they hold this view that you need to let go of every single uh, material position or attachment that you have to reach uh, nirvana or any place because the first fallacy is that if you have the desire to reach nirvana according to put this if you if you want to reach nirvana then you are never going to get nirvana because that is also a desire which you hold right so it is the desire which you need to let go the boundations that you have all around you that you need to let go the feeling that i will be happy if i have a particular car or if i'll be happy if i have a particular person or i will be happy if i have a particular job or money or designation or whatever it is that you think highly of and only then i will be happy only then i will be living you need to let go of that kind of a thought you really need to let go of that kind of a what you need to let go is the attachment to things that unless and until this thing is there this is not possible for me to achieve you need to let go of that desire altogether so for me uh, i i have had my spiritual journey in the last few months it's been almost 5 6 months since i have been on this path Uh, i have been on this path for a very long time but 5 6 months i have been consciously on this path and i've discovered that you don't really need to let go of everything you need to let go of all your responsibilities and every everything you just need to drain out to your bank account and you know you know give away all your money and all your wealth and instead of driving a car you start need you need to start walking down walking and you don't really need to do that you know all you need to do is meditate and come to terms with the truths that are inherent to you that are within you and you need to let go of uh, the construct of ego which you have built all around you the judgmental you which judges everything and ev- anything uh, even before you fully understand that thing even if uh, because we have this tendency that even when we don't know anything we end up judging it and you need to go move with the flow of life that is another part of indian philosophy that that is a part of chinese uh, philosophy so people have been talking about that you need to be in the flow so you need to let things happen and you need to understand the fact that you do not really control the outcomes you cannot control the world around you all you can control are the choices that you make in a given uh, in any given uh, situation so you have a choice to act one way or the other and that is the only free will that you really have within you and so you choose wisely you choose rationally and you choose the best course of action at that point and uh, like anran used to say that you have to be a very rational person so you use your rationality and you behave in the best possible way in a given situation that's it okay so it's uh i guess there's a there's a bit of a challenge for me in keeping track of uh when it's uh when i'm hearing your personal view and then when you are just giving a uh presentation of the indian philosophy which might not necessarily be your own view cuz i asked you for the indian philosophy and and you told me some about that and you also told me well it's not necessarily my own view um so i'm i'm struggling a bit to keep those uh all right so i'll i'll try and make it more clear okay so as far as the indian philosophy goes i think that people have misunderstood uh the concept uh because in indian philosophy yes there are certain uh, aspects which tell you to leave all the material world behind and to you know to move to for you to move forward into a higher le- level of consciousness like buddha did so uh, gautam buddha he let go of uh, his kingdom and everything and he let go of his marriage and everything and he went and he 
sat beneath that tree where 40 days he spent and he uh, had an enlightenment, right? So those aspects are there too. But if you talk about uh, other aspects, like if you talk about Lord Krishna or uh, Lord Rama, they did not really let go of everything. Uh, obviously, they are said that they, are, they were the uh, incarnation of God. But uh, if we take it uh, in the context of their human form in this world, for example, then they did not really let go of all their positions. They did not let go of everything that they had. They did not let go of uh, all the material world to to reach a higher self. They were here, so uh, and things were there with them. So they didn't really let go of everything. So what people generally understand about Indian philosophy is through what they watch on television or what they watch on YouTube or what they read about these gurus, about these mystics who have, you know, let go of everything. And uh, it is only then that they have reached a certain stage or certain plane in their life. But the fact is that most of the people do not really do that. Most of the people find that enlightenment while they are still with their families, while they are still attached to the world. If everyone starts leaving the world and you know goes to the forest to meditate, then the world will stop moving in a way. It will, it will come, entire uh, organization will come to us, stand still in a way, because everybody would leave and go to the forest to meditate. That's not what the core Indian philosophy is all about. And, this is what I gather from what I have read and what I've you know, watched or heard or listened to. Okay, what were the names of the two people you mentioned after Buddha? You mentioned a couple people who you said- uh, uh, Lord Rama. Yeah, yeah, I'm not familiar with that name. They, they are considered gods. That, so like Lord Ram is uh, one of the biggest, uh, deity here in India. He How do you is, spell uh, that? The most R-A-M or you can say R-A-M-A. Oh, okay. And who was the other one? Lord Krishna. He is also considered to be an incarnation of God on this earth. So if you read Ramayana, uh, that is about uh, Lord Ram. And if you uh, read Mahabharata and especially the Gita, then that is... Uh, about Lord Krishna. So Lord Krishna, Gita is basically the sermon which Lord Krishna gave to Arjun uh, during the battle. Okay. So from what I, if, if I understand correctly, Buddha, he gave up uh, a lot of things when he went to the, to the forest for 40 days to seek enlightenment. Um, but these other people, they're also considered to have achieved enlightenments, but they are they haven't given up their worldly no. possessions. These two other people were considered they they weren't uh, considered normal people. They were con they are considered as God themselves. they are considered as gods. So their earthly form, God's earthly form on this earth. Okay, and they they do have some uh, attachments to material things and yeah Lord Rama was a uh, was a king he was a prince and then uh, later on he became a king okay so these are examples of um, that are meant to show that the Indian philosophy is not entirely um, in favor of getting rid of all attachments because these two people are considered to be uh, exemplars of the Indian philosophy, yet they still had some attachments to worldly things. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm wondering if, I, I thought maybe, I was wondering if there's a parallel to in Christian religion, because there's also in Christianity, uh, there's, there's a kind of otherworldliness about it. Jesus gave up his riches, I guess, and um, 
he was all about heaven in the other world, the afterlife and getting back in touch with God. Um, yeah. Whereas I mean, he, he had a his his later at least some of his later followers i mean there are many people who are christians today who are um i guess are considered good christians but they they still have worldly attachments um they don't live like jesus although they still might hold up jesus as a moral ideal even if they don't live exactly in that way themselves so I'm just wondering if there's a kind of parallel between the founder of this religion and then his followers, whereas the, the founder is giving up more things of this world and his later followers um, are not, yet they're still considered followers of the originator of the religion. Um, although the, the two people you mentioned, you said they were considered gods. So mm -hmm. maybe that's a... Uh, a disanalogy between um, the kind of followers I was talking about. Are, are these, I mean, are the, when, when are these, when did this King live that you mentioned? King Rama. Okay. It's, it could be, uh, history doesn't date it as such uh, very accurately, but it was something around, I think, 5,000 years back. Oh, is this just a legendary King? It's not like something that historians would, uh, it's both a legend and uh, it has to do with history, but it is also a legend. So right now, the uh, I don't think that uh, it's very absolutely, uh, you know, black and white right now. Okay. Because the the search is still on. Okay. But most of the people do consider that it's actual history, and uh, which was. Uh, like, uh, for example, like uh, uh, the biblical flood really did happen. The Noah's flood did actually happen, but uh, how much of it is uh, is actually legend, and how much of it is, uh, you know, reality is something which people are still trying to gather. You know, okay. thirteen thousand years back, or thirteen thousand years back, it is it is it has been scientifically ascertained that there was a big flood. So how much of it actually relates to Noah or uh, was Noah an actual person back then? So that's still going on. The search is still going on in a way. Okay. So uh, I guess one of your points here has been that the, the, the kind of picture of Indian philosophy that I, that I painted at the beginning is um, maybe accurate for the founder, but not necessarily for people who come later? No, people take both the paths. People see, if you talk about Buddhism, so Buddhists talk about taking the middle path. You don't go to the extremes, okay? So you, you should not go to either this extreme or that extreme. You take the middle path because middle path is mostly the best path for you to take. So that is what uh, it's all about. Some people do uh, really renounce the world and go and leave everything that they have of worldly position and they live the life of an ascetic. Most of the people do not. And, uh, but it is not mandatory that you need to if you are looking, looking for enlightenment, if you're looking for a certain uh, you know, growth, spiritual growth, then you need to leave everything behind and you need to go on to that path that is not it's not a rule so taking the middle path is more like it hmm. okay where you where, where you are playing both the roles where you are uh, on your spiritual journey or you're on the journey to discover yourself but at the same time you fulfill and you you fulfill your responsibilities and uh, you know you continue on the middle road that also reminds me again of a parallel to Christianity because I mean, most people, they don't live like Jesus uh, or, or the saints who would, uh, who are ascetics and, you know, lives in the deserts and flagellated themselves and uh, slept on beds of nails or <laughs> whatever. Um, 
so, but I don't know if that means they are, um, they're failing in some way. Like it's true. Mm -hmm. Most people don't go to the extreme, but they still regard the extreme as, um, more, more noble. And that's why they, they become saints. I mean, they're held up as holy people, not just average people. Uh, and I guess people who fall short of that and don't go to those extremes perhaps have reason to feel guilty if they actually accept that Jesus was a, the, kind, the way he lived or the way these saints lived. That's really the most moral and noble way to live. And if they're not doing that, then they're falling short, uh, falling short of the moral ideal. And I don't know if it's like that in in uh, Indian culture where most people, yeah, they don't go to the extreme. They follow this middle path, but they still think it would be better. They would be more noble and more moral if they did go to the extreme. Uh, personally, I don't think it, it, is, it, it is anything to be guilty about because if you are really choosing uh, that, that spiritual path, then the first thing which you need to take out of, out of yourself is concept of guilt. So if you're really going towards that path, then you'll have to give up all your guilt first and foremost thing. That's the very first step towards loving yourself, to knowing yourself. Because if you hold all these guilts and if you hold all these judgments, you're not going to get anywhere. So the very first step is to let go of the guilt and the judgments that you hold very dearly within you. The second thing is that a lot of uh, Indian philosophy, uh, a lot of Christian philosophy, a lot of uh, Islamic philosophy, a, a, a lot of Eastern philosophy, it's quite, if you, if you remove all the, uh, what I personally like to say, that if you remove all the construct which you feel like it's man-made in a way, or uh, ego-based in a way, then you will find most of these philosophies actually are very, very similar to each other. They are almost identical in a few cases. They are almost identical. Uh, they're, they're talking about the same thing in a different language, in a different context, you know, with different parables, but they're talking about exactly the same thing. Uh, yeah, I think there are similarities across many religions. I guess one difference I, I was... Uh, just reading about before this call was there's no God in Buddhism. Uh, so, which I guess makes it abnormal for religions. Um, but on guilt, uh, I, I think that that might be maybe is more stressed in Christianity. You're, there's original sin. So you're, this is just a sin that you inherit at birth, I guess, because, uh, of Adam and Eve's sin uh, that gets passed down. And um, I think it, it, humility is, is one of the major virtues. You have to see yourself uh, in a humble way, uh, maybe even as a miserable sinner. You should recognize how you're imperfect, um, how imperfect you are compared to God and humble yourself um, before the Lord and may, maybe that's that's less less common or that's not really an aspect of Indian philosophy as much. Um, uh, in, in a way, actually, maybe there's, you might say if you're a Christian, well, at least I believe there is a self <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, that is so small and miserable um, and guilty, whereas the Indians, they don't even believe in a self. They they think the self is an illusion. Um, all there really is, is uh, this cosmic universal self. Uh, so maybe the Christians would have uh, some reason to think that they're stronger believers in the self. Um, but anyways, there was uh, maybe one more thing we could, we could end on is this, this point about ego. You've brought that up a few times. I'm interested to hear a little more about that. Um, it, it seemed like when you brought it up, it was kind of in, an, in a negative sort of way, 
um, like we need to, I mean, you might think ego is just a, a synonym, another word for self. And if you think it's good to be selfish, you might also think it's good to be egoistic. But I am curious to hear a little more about your view about ego and what exactly that means to you. And do you see that as a good thing or as a bad thing? See, ego, according to me, uh, is necessary in a way. But uh, it is necessary up to a point. It's, it's necessary for your survival. It's necessary for you to think about your well-being. But beyond that point, it becomes uh, sort of a, uh, evil. It's, it's, it becomes evil. Why it becomes evil? Because once, if your ego takes over, if you, if you really start living through your ego, so the ego, uh, if, if, if that becomes your master, then you end up doing things which are totally out of tune with the real you first of all, which uh, you would not usually ascribe to if you, uh, for example, uh, you know certain things are bad and uh, those certain things can hurt people. But if you are too ego-laden and you still continue doing those things and you continue hurting the people around you and you continue justifying yourself that... Uh, whatever it is that you're indulging in and you will use any 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 excuse to justify yourself and you'll continue doing that so that is also a play of any of the ego but uh, like one uh, exam i i can i do not remember the name but that was a very fine example that you need uh, i think it was uh, i'm just missing on the name but he said that uh, you need a bit of ego because unless and until you do not have any ego, you would not uh, know where to, which mouth to feed. I mean, when you're eating, you would not know that you, would you want to put it in your mouth or somebody else's mouth. So yeah. anyway, so, so a bit of ego is required because you need that for a healthy life. But beyond a point, it becomes the greatest source of your misery because ego tells you to hold everything to control everything you you start believing that everything is within your control this entire universe is within your control this entire uh, the outcome of every uh, thing is within your control and you start manipulating and controlling others too once it takes hold of you so for me ego is both good and both bad it's 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 both it's kind of uh, what you call the uh, Wu Wei or uh, the yin and the yang. So it has the elements of both good and bad. Okay. This is a couple things are, are coming to mind. Um, one is it's reminding me of selfishness and selflessness. A lot of times I, I'll talk to people, I'll say, do you think it's, it's good to be selfless? And they'll say, well, not totally, not totally selfless. You got to be selfish to a point. Um, it's like a lot of people, it seems to, to be that they think you should have a kind of balance between selfishness and selflessness. And it kind of sounds like what you're saying, you got to have some ego, but not too much ego. So you want to get the right balance of ego. And when people say that about selfishness and selflessness, I will often ask them, well, what about someone like, like Jesus or like mother Teresa? Um, do they seem balanced? I mean, they seem pretty heavy on the selfless end of the spectrum. If there's a spectrum, I mean, that's what they're famous for, how selfless, how altruistic, how self-sacrificing they were. They weren't very selfish at all. So they didn't have much of a balance. So how do you reconcile saying like it's good to have this balance if you also yeah. think Jesus and Mother Teresa are good, which is not, maybe you don't think they are good, so you don't have this problem. But for, who, for people who have this idea that it's good to be balanced between selfishness and selflessness, or maybe to use your ego language between um, being egoistic and being not egoistic, how, do you, how would someone who thinks Mother Teresa and Jesus are morally 
uh, heroic, how do they reconcile that with the idea that we should have this kind of balance? For me, definitely both Christ and uh, Mother Teresa were like uh, totally selfless and they were like the best of the people, but their acts were selfless. Let, let us, let us uh, uh, for me, there are two things. One is your act and one is your thought process. So their acts were totally selfless, right? But do you think Mother Teresa would be acting so selflessly if somewhere deep down she did not have the desire to act that selflessly? She had that desire to act in a particular fashion. She had that desire to act as selflessly as she could. And she liked doing it. Do you think that she was doing it compulsively? She was doing it out of some kind of compulsion? No, she was doing it because she wanted to do it. That is something which her higher self ascribed to. That is something which her higher self uh, felt uh, in harmony with. And that is why she was doing it. So even though her acts were completely selfless, and yes, those were very noble acts and they, they were very, very selfless acts, but somewhere she had this uh, feeling from within her that she wanted to act thus, and that, that is why she was acting that way. So when you, when I, what I understand is that when people do something good for others, but because they want to do it, and it is giving them some sort of satisfaction, it is giving them some sort of, uh, uh, you know, happiness or some sort of contentment. I think uh, it's it's okay. I mean, you cannot. Uh, you, so the act may be very selfless, but still that, that feeling of good, that feeling of uh, uh, contentment is always there. So somewhere you are doing some things because you feel, feel like doing it. And when you do things because you feel like doing those things, then you are being a bit selfish also. You know, you're thinking about yourself too at the same time. I've heard this said about Mother Teresa that she actually was not being altruistic because she was doing what she wanted to do and this was giving her satisfaction I, I wonder if if that was her motive for doing it though like maybe even if it did give her satisfaction was was that the reason she did it uh or was her reason for doing it that she felt she had some uh religious duty to act in this way and it was just a byproduct that she happened to get satisfaction and she would have done it even if she didn't get satisfaction from it. Uh, I think maybe that's that's the relevant question to ask in determining whether this was really a, a selfish kind of action. What was it motivated by? Was it motivated by this satisfaction that she gets or was it motivated for some other reason? Like, did she just feel she had a, a, a duty to act in this kind of way? If you, <clears throat> hello. Uh, okay, you, I can hear you now. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, yeah. you're frozen still. Okay. Oh. Okay, now it's okay. Yeah. So I, I did not hear what said in the last 10, 15 seconds. Oh, I, I was saying that um, some people argue that Mother Teresa was selfish because she was doing something that gave her satisfaction. But I think if if satisfaction was her reason for doing it, that would make sense, I think. But if it wasn't her reason for doing it, if it was just a byproduct, uh, if she just happened to get satisfaction from doing these actions of taking care of the poor and the sick, in her actual reason wasn't because it gave her that satisfaction, but just because she thought she had this religious duty to fulfill, then I think you could still make the case that it's not selfish what she did because it wasn't motivated by benefiting herself. See, at any, any, any point, even if she, she did it for religious reasons and she thought that it, it was mandatory for her to uh, act in a specific fashion, then also she was seeking some. We are all seeking something at the end of the day. So even if it was religious compulsion, then also she was seeking something by fulfilling that, uh, fulfilling that uh, religious compulsion. Like uh, Jesus, uh, if we talk about the man Jesus Christ, uh, I'm not going to talk about God Jesus Christ right now because I don't really get into religions. So if I talk about the man Jesus Christ, 
the human being, Jesus Christ. Then uh, when he gave up was, uh, as was being told by, by God in the heaven, how to act. Then also he was doing that because he, because he wanted to do it. He, he felt a higher calling there. He felt the need to do it. So we cannot be totally selfless ever in our lives. And we can, we, we will, in, in, even, even in our most selfless acts, there will be a certain desire attached to it. Because being completely selfless is also a, is sort of a desire that you hold within you that you want to become completely selfless. We cannot achieve that level of selflessness where we do things <laughs> without any desire whatsoever, without any thought, without any desire, without any, any attachment to the outcome or any, 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 anything at all within our minds. Because to reach that level of selflessness, you would need to be in a state where you are totally incapable of making that choice and you just act. And I don't think it's possible. I don't know if I'm confusing myself right now, but it isn't, for me, it isn't really possible to be selfless ever. Yeah, I think it's plausible that whenever you act, you have a desire to act in that way. But I think, I'm not sure that means it can't be selfless i think it might depend on the desire or maybe the desires there might be more than one competing desire um that you have in a given case so is is another way to put your point that everyone is always necessarily selfish i mean this is a view called psychological egoism which is discussed in uh, philosophy um, ethics courses often the idea is that everyone is always doing something in order to benefit uh, himself or herself there is no such thing as a genuinely selfless or altruistic action because whatever you do you're motivated to do that and since you're acting on your desire uh, that means you were you were doing something to benefit yourself so, I mean, is that, is that kind of the idea that you, you find plausible? I do, I do, in a way. And most of, I mean, in practical life, I think that is very plausible. Okay. Well, here's a counterexample, which maybe is more convincing than the Mother Teresa or, or a Jesus example. Let's say you are on a diet and you think it would be best for yourself to not eat cheesecake, uh, but you cave into the desire to eat the cheesecake. All the while you believe, you know, this is not good for me. I should not be doing this. I would be better off. I would be more happy if I did not eat it, but I eat it anyways. So you're overcome. You have weakness of will. You don't have the strength to resist that desire. And then you end up regretting it. Now, was that a was that a selfish thing to do or yep. yeah well does that mean that it was done in order to benefit yourself maximally like you are benefiting you're getting that momentary uh pleasure so you're getting some positive i mean if you weren't getting any positive out of it there wouldn't even be the temptation um but if you consider all th all things considered on net is the person acting in a way that they think is on net going to benefit themselves? So that is, that is what my channel is all about. Uh, if, if, since you brought up this uh, example. So that is what my channel is all about, where I talk about selfishness in the long run, where I talk about selfishness, uh, where you need to recognize that you need to look uh, at the net result of your action, at the net of your action. So you have to really uh, understand that bit because something may be making you feel really nice right now. But if it is going to make you feel very, very miserable over a longer period of time, eventually, then you better 
correct yourself and think from that perspective that you need to be selfish enough. You need to understand that level of selfishness that you need to correct your actions right now so that you benefit in the long run. So maybe uh, spending a thousand bucks right now is going to make me feel really good and I will have all these clothes which will make me feel really nice maybe for a week's time. And then after a week when I have to pay my bills, I would be miserable. So that's being in a way that's that's being a moron. <laughs> that's not being selfish. That's being a moron. So you really, when you, whenever you're thinking about yourself, whenever you you think about pleasures, whenever you think about anything, you really need to have a little uh, broader perspective. You need to look a little further ahead than the moment where you are in which you are in at right uh, right now. Although I do ascribe. To, to the philosophy of living in the moment, but living in the moment and being foolish are two very different concepts here. So you really need to understand what is going to benefit you. So maybe uh, exercising is something which you detest right now, but you know that it will help you eventually and greatly and it will uh, extend your life and it will make you far more capable of doing uh, lots of work maybe you can extend your working hours maybe you can do better job and you can be less sick so you realize that it will be more uh, of your selfish uh, achievement if you exercise than by saving yourself that that work right now that uh, labor right now so would some of these examples show that uh, this idea of psychological egoism is actually false, that sometimes people are not acting in a way that is intended to benefit themselves on nets. Sometimes people do that, but only because they have a very limited perspective of what they're doing. So they, 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 they do not really uh, evaluate the consequences or they are not being rational, as, as we would say. So they are not being... Uh, very rational in their approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think that's, that is what happens when, I, mean, I think it is a real thing that people sometimes do not act in a way that they think is best for themselves on net. And they're just, they allow their irrational desires to overcome them. And they, they cave into those desires uh, and if they did really do what they thought on net was going to benefit them, they would be acting differently. So I, I think these kind of weakness of will cases where the people are not doing what they think is best for themselves in the long run are, are cases where, uh, are, are counterexamples to this psychological egoism idea that people are always acting selfish necessarily. I think sometimes they're not as these cases show. They're not doing what's intended to most benefit themselves in the long run. And that, as a result, image, they feel guilt. Yeah, but in the immediate uh, moment, they were thinking that they are, you know, acting selfishly. They were acting selfishly. In the in immediate moment, they were acting selfishly. So, like smokers, for example. I mean, I think, I think it's plausible to me that in the moment, as they're doing it, they the maybe their mind is kind of a jumble it's it's kind of chaotic and a mess and um there's something they have this sense that they're not acting in the right way um i don't think it's or at least it's plausible to me that they feel kind of conflicted about it part of them wants to do it but part of them is telling them uh, you shouldn't be doing this and and they i think they know on some level, they know that they're not acting in the right way, yet they do it anyways, even in the moments. Um, they feel because, this kind of conflict. Yeah, because they, it's, it is giving them pleasure in the moment when people, for example, cheat. So they cheat. When they cheat, they know that if they're cheating, they are doing something wrong and it's going to have grave consequences later on for their relationship, for their... For, and. Uh, they are doing something harmful, not only to themselves, but to the people, uh, to the person whom they love, but they still go ahead and do it because in the moment it is giving them pleasure. But uh, once that pleasure is out of the equation, then they realize that they, must, they really messed up. 
So in the moment when they're doing something like smokers, when they're smoking, they feel that it is something which is making them feel good, even though they know that uh, in the, eventually it is going to cause them a lot of trouble. But they're, so they're uh, acting out of uh, very, very, very narrow spectrum of consciousness where they are doing certain things which they know will eventually uh, create chaos for them, but they're doing it for the momentary happiness or momentary pleasure, whatever they are indulging in. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I think maybe this is a good place to end it for now. Sure. So uh, we covered a lot there. Thanks for doing this. I'm so sorry. I, I sometimes go from one place to another. I, I know I switch between topics. So uh, That's all right. It's all connected. So it's natural to <laughs> go in a bunch of directions. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, it's good talking with you and uh, we'll chat again. Sure, Dan. That was lovely talking to you too. Right. All right. Have a great day. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye.